Hello, and welcome to episode 52 of the Medical Device Success Podcast and Videocast. I am Ted Newell, your host. For those of you that are returning to the program, thanks for being back. And for those of you that are new, welcome to the program. It's great to have you here today. This episode is another one of our In the C-Suite series. And our guest today is Clay Steves, CEO of Habakkuk, an orthopedic distributorship based in Oklahoma City. Clay is a different kind of guy, and that is good, and it is inspiring. You will hear Clay use a particular word a number of times during this podcast. It is the word thrive. That was their theme word for the pandemic year. And in fact, Habakkuk did thrive and continues to thrive. By the way, during the podcast, Clay and I discuss a number of leadership issues, and he frequently refers to several books. I will have links to these books in the show notes, and I'll also have links to Clay's LinkedIn profile and the Habakkuk website. Also, if you like this podcast, please recommend it to a friend, rate it, and or subscribe. Now let's get together with Clay and learn more about how his team rose to the occasion in 2020 and how they are adjusting to the new normal post-pandemic. Clay Steves, it is really terrific to have you on the Medical Device Success Podcast today. Uh, This is important because so many of my podcasts are with subject matter experts. Of course, you are one in in many ways, but also they are um, not always with people that are in the trenches, Mm. you know, working with providers day in and day out. So welcome. It's great to have you here. Yeah, Ted, it's, it's great to be here. Thank you for the invite and looking forward to our time together. Sure. So as I told you in our lead up to this, but as we were getting ready to click the record button and get started, I do do something of of a little bit of an introduction, but why don't you just tell us a little bit about what your role is and tell us about Habakkuk. And did I say that right? You know, one of the fun things we have at our organization is a long running list of the mince pronunciations of Habakkuk, <laughs> like Chewbacca. Habakkuk. Yeah. Chewbacca, Hubastank, uh, Hubakuk. We get it all, but Habakkuk is the pronunciation that we utilize. Yes, sir. Okay. Habakkuk. Yeah. yeah. So go ahead. Tell me. Yeah. Well, I mean, my, my journey, I've been in medical device and orthopedic device specifically for, it'll be coming up on 16 years in a couple of months. Um, my father is a retired orthopedic surgeon, and so that was how I got into the industry many moons ago. And Habakkuk um, is my distributorship that we had the the privilege of founding. Um, this year will be our eighth anniversary uh, near the end of this year. And so, yeah, been been in orthopedic device sales for 16 years, and have been the CEO of Habakkuk for uh, seven and a half, going on eight. Very good. So, when you were younger. You know, how you talk about your the fact that your dad was an orthopedic surgeon and that sort of headed you this direction. But tell us a little bit more about the story of getting into orthopedic sales. Oh, the story specifically. So 
I attended, well, I, I actually don't even remember the, I guess, the seeds that were planted that got me into orthopedic device sales. Uh, and maybe that's a fun piece of the story. But I was, I think, 14, 15 years old. I used to work at my dad's office in the summer. And, you know, back in when they had paper, paper patient files, and they had to keep them for seven, eight years or whatever it was. My job was to go out to like the wasp infested closet out of the back of the office. And I had to go shred old documents and clean out old files, et cetera, you know, on patients that had uh, their, their charts had expired or the, the statute of limitations had passed. And I guess one time my dad's rep was there. Um, trying to check on x-rays and see my father, et cetera. And I was probably flirting with the nurses or talking to patients or, you know, shaking hands, kissing babies, doing something. And he essentially said to my dad, well, whenever he finishes school, I'll give him a job uh, back then. And I, I didn't know anything of it. Didn't, didn't have a clue. Well, fast forward, however many years that would have been eight or eight or seven years. And I was finishing school. I'd been studying history at Baylor university and I didn't, didn't have a great, uh, game plan at that point. I didn't know what I was going to do. And he had said to my father, no, legit, I meant that. And so he offered me a job when I was leaving school, um, what is almost now 16 years ago. Wow. And what was your first role? Yeah, I, my first role was really, you know, think about it as like a um, what we would call a service rep or a service technician within my organization, but someone who would set up and clean up the orthopedic procedures, you know, instruments and implants day before, day after, and then also case coverage. You know, case coverage started um, probably within a month or two of me starting. So it was a lot of running town to town, running assets and instruments between facilities, and then case coverage began to bleed into it pretty quickly. Is that also what some people call a application specialist or a clinical specialist, depending on what company you're at? Correct statement. That's, yeah, okay. a CAS or a CAS member, that kind of a title would be synonymous in the setting that I was in at a small distributorship because the organization I was with was was literally me and the distributor and then one office personnel. So we were a very uh, small, small outfit and small operation. Yeah. Okay. And then how long did you... Um, act in the role of like an application specialist? <clears throat> I was in that role for, I'd say two, two plus years, two and a half years. Um, there was a relocation. I had actually started in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, my distributor was, or my boss was trying to start a, you know, had a client there that he was beginning to do some work with and it kind of planted me up there and then ended up moving me back to Oklahoma city, which is where I grew up my hometown and where I currently am uh, at this moment. Yeah. So at about the two and a half year mark is when we begin the conversation of transitioning to sales. And so kind of moving out of the service realm and then transitioning to the sales sales efforts. Gosh, it just, when you mention Oklahoma City, that just reminds me of going to a wedding there at the beginning of August. <laughs> well, come on with it. I'll get you my right. cell phone after. We'll go, we'll go find somewhere. Now, have you ever been to Oklahoma City before? Yes, uh, several times. So, okay. um, my, uh, I guess uh, it's my wife's niece is getting married and there's some okay. other family there. So we're going to be there for almost a week. So yeah, we should get together for coffee or something. So I'd, I'd love to. <laughs> um, okay. So you did that. And what's I think is interesting is that, you know, this goes back a number of years and uh, this isn't too different than some of the career paths for uh orthopedics uh, reps today. I mean, my my daughter worked for Stryker. Now she went right in as a rep, but mm -hmm. she did have some people working for her as application specialists that she would bring in to help serve a hospital. And yeah. um, some of them did aspire to be salespeople. Hmm. 
Yeah. And, you know, I think probably the, where I would say in my own journey, and, you know, we won't unpack the full, my full life story in the conversation, Ted, but a piece that's unique for me was, you know, when I say I left college, I'm actually pretty intentional with that language because I didn't graduate. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one, one of the great opportunities, and, and, you know, even to say the way I just said it right there, um, I, I actually ended up flunking out of college. So, you know, part of my full story is I, I ended up with a, a challenging, uh, battling substance abuse when I was in school. And ended up with eight hours left when I left college. And so the fact that I was given an opportunity um, when I was, you know, uh, no degree, had left college uh, failing out, but somebody gave me a chance, I'm forever grateful. And so I think one of the unique places of where my journey and, you know, we as a company, we don't have a qualifying of a... um, of an undergraduate degree or of an advanced degree for team members to come work for us, even now as a company. That's not a prereq. And I know a lot of large companies do, and I understand why they do. And it's not that we don't take that into account when we're looking at a candidate, but we also understand there are people coming from unique circumstances and sometimes everyone's journey is a little different. And so that's one piece, just if we, if I talk about maybe what was different in my journey was the fact that a small business was willing to take a chance on me to give me the opportunity to kind of prove in the workforce uh, that I could succeed within the medical device world. Yes, uh, which is a great story. And I, mm. I commend you for that. And I think it's terrific. And it, it just shows other people that there is always hope, you know, mm. to aspire to something better, even if you're challenged. There is a path. Yeah. And, and that's, and I, you're, I think that's a great way to say it. There's hope, there's a path and don't, don't self-select yourself out of the process. In other words, you you know what I mean? Don't, don't pre-decide like, well, okay, I can't go do that. No, pick up the phone, have the phone conversation, have the opportunity, like try to engage to see maybe there is a chance, maybe there is a place that would, you know, uh, and for the record, you also have to then put in the work (laughs) you have to go produce because that's the, you know, the next phase of my story was going to then do the, make the right decisions, make the right choices, put in the right work to produce a different outcome. Because if you, of course, continued the same habits I had done previously, I'd end up with the same result. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Now, when you, so then you, after a couple of years of that, your initial role, yeah, you moved into sales. Were you a 1099 rep at that time? Were you working on full commission? I, I, uh, I was a 1099 rep and I did move to full commission. Yes. Okay. And that was, uh, to say that's a shaping, to say that's a shaping experience would be, um, probably an understatement uh, to the degree that was. And and it's even, I would say, modeled kind of how we structure things at our organization now. And, you know, as you just learn lessons in life and experiences. But yeah, I was pushed off a cliff uh, a couple of years in, and that's the term I would use. Um, it was also around the time that our first child was born. And I can remember, I can remember the day, Ted, um, our oldest son was actually, uh, we were pregnant with twins and we ended up losing one of the <laughs> twins. We, we ended up losing one of the twins. It was a vanishing oh, twin early on. Wow. So um, a challenging season and, and uh, through some other challenges in the pregnancy, our son was born at 33 weeks. And so ended up in the NICU. Yeah. Um, and I can remember a couple months after that, he came home at 30 days, by the way, he's 13 years old. He's as tall as he's, he's catching up on me immediately. He's as healthy as can be. So I'll fast forward on that part of the story is that my Thank son you. is incredibly healthy and thriving. Um, but I can remember a couple months after that, he had come home from the hospital. I got a bill. 
I got a bill from uh, the hospital. And mind you, again, this is still some of the lessons. Uh, I had failed to pay our Cobra bill because my wife didn't go back to her work because she's like, I have a preemie baby. It's RSV season. I'm not going back to work, Clay. You got to figure this out. I'm staying at home with the child. Again, still learning hard lessons. I didn't pay the right bills. I didn't pay the Cobra stuff. We lost our insurance, ended up in some high risk pool at the state of Oklahoma. And so I didn't have insurance at the time. And I got a bill from the hospital for $250,000 for my son's 30, 30 some odd uh, day stay in the NICU. And the next day I got my commission check and it was $82 and 71 cents. And I just remember being like, this is a problem. <laughs> this is this is a problem because now I'm supposed to be producing income. And so, yeah, I just, uh, so yes, I was shoved to full commission. And yes, most people probably would have gone and gotten another job, but remember I'd failed out of college. And at that point I was maybe by divine um, grace and uh, in intentionality, I was by my perception stuck. And so I had to find a way to begin to sell, even though I was an independent, even though I was you know, falling off that cliff that I described earlier and broke and now in a hole, I had to find a way out. And so that was kind of a big inflection point for us, not long after the uh, 1099 full commission transition. Sure, sure. Yeah. And for yeah. In, for international listeners um, that don't know what we mean when we say 1099, it's a type of pay relationship that somebody can have with uh, another individual or a company and it's more like a contracted sales role so you're you're not an employee of that organization um, and so you get a form we call it 1099 because at the end of the year you get this form for your taxes that's uh, that you need to file a 1099 income type of form so that's what we mean by that and I think another observation here, and we don't need to go off on this because it could be a you know a whole day of discussion, <laughs> but is you know a two hundred thousand dollar bill you know thirty mm. days in the hospital and mm. and this is you know years ago, so who that'd be at least double triple what it, it would be now. I would uh, it'd it. be yeah yeah, and it's just a sign that. Um, not that I want to get political, but it's a sign of, of the American health system and the troubles that we have. Yeah, it's just not sustainable. It's yeah. all I would say on it. And that's not a statement on, you know, how yeah. we fix it or whatever. But I think yeah. if we if we are objective with ourselves and if we get situational awareness as to the, you know, the scenario we're in, we're not on a sustainable path. So we can either keep going on it and we'll end up somewhere, or we can choose to, you know, begin uh trying to, I guess, fix some of the fundamental challenges we have. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, um, and we had a great interview with Mark Dixon, who's a leading consultant and ex-executive in the provider space, and a leading consultant to huge companies and also to providers. And uh, we talked about that a little bit. And he just threw up some mm -hmm. of the statistics about how much they lose on average with Medicare, how much they gain on average in private insurance, and they have to bring those two numbers down together. Hmm. So, uh, very interesting for interesting. people that are interested in that. It's a couple episodes ago. Okay, so let's keep going on. So, so you've given us some additional background because one of my questions was, you know, when you not necessarily when you started 1099, but especially when you started Habakkuk, right? Did I get it that time? Nailed it. Now we're Habakkuk. on a roll. I love okay. it. Yep. <laughs> when you started Habakkuk, uh, okay, so you had the opportunity to buy your boss out. Yes, sir. And you and you take that opportunity. So. Were you nervous? Were you scared? I mean, how? What? What, what was your mentality at that time? <laughs> was I? 
you know, the buildup to it was, was a whole new process for me in that season, right? Because I'm negotiating, uh, and, and to provide even context, as you were even kind of describing 1099s, small distributors often carry numerous manufacturers, right? So they don't just carry one manufacturer like Stryker or Zimmer. And so my my distributor, my boss back then had um, probably four or five different companies that he sold. And so we were in a back and forth about, well, okay, I, I, I want this company, but no, you keep that one. Or no, I'm going to take this one and kind of trying to figure out the finances and the politics and the so that was months and months and months. And it was kind of a, it was a back and forth. It was pretty messy, to be honest. I, I, I wish if I could go back and talk to younger version of me, I would, I would handle some things differently. Um, and I do handle those things differently now, at least do my best to. But so to answer your question, it was almost like I was so focused on that. I was learning the process. And by learning, I mean making it up because it isn't, again, I said earlier, I was a history major. I'd studied history. I got no formal business training. So at this point, I'm just learning by activating. I'm learning by just engaging in the process. It was almost like, bam, I woke up and it was the dog that caught the car to almost describe it. Cause I've been pursuing the agreements. You've been working on it forever. And then all of a sudden it was like December 1st and it was like, Oh, I'm the distributor. Oh, 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 Okay, the company has been. Oh, okay, let's go. It, it was in like it was in a rent house uh, that I had purchased at that point, and so we <laughs> transferred operations over and began hiring people as fast as I could and trying to onboard it. But it almost, you know, you just live and learn. But it it really was the dog that caught the car. So I don't know that I was nervous per se because I don't think I had time to think about like, oh my gosh. But it really definitely was like, oh, I'm here. Like everything I've been saying, I want to do, and all these elements, like it's here, and I, I just got to go. Um, so maybe it was the deep end or the dog that caught the car, but that's how I experienced it. And how many months did it take you to feel like you had gotten onto your feet at that time with, with the new business? Well, how many months am I in now, Ted? I'm going to think about how many years it's been. <laughs> you're, still not, you're still not sure. <laughs> well, I, it's, uh, I don't know that I have an answer for that. I'll just, I'll just be honest with you. I, I, the story that came to my mind when you asked it. So early on, I quickly recognized, you know, formal management and leadership, like building organizations and building teams. Like it's a skill and a craft, like you have to learn it and you have to put work in on it. And I quickly learned I didn't have that training expertise, knowledge, and I needed to go to work on it. And so, um, Pat Lincioni, and I don't know if you ever read any of Pat's stuff the organizational mm-hmm. health, you know, champion, I really got heavy into his, his model still heavily influences me today. And that teaching that the last great advantage is organizational health, you know, having that, that clarity and a healthy functioning team. And, I remember, you know, I'd always known I wanted a leadership team, which is kind of funny when you have like four employees and you have a leadership team. It seems disproportional, but I was trying to build a large organization while we were still small. I was trying to be intentional with that even early on. And I remember the first time we took Pat's like um, organizational health leadership team um, assessment, for lack of a better term, the team assessment report, the TAR as they call it, to see how healthy we were. And this is about the five dysfunctions of a team, which is the absence of vulnerability, the absence of conflict, lack of commitment, um, unwilling to be accountable, and then inattention to results, right? So those are the five dysfunctions. It's a pyramid. It's a great model. And we got the scoreboard back and it was solid red. In other words, it was like not healthy, not healthy, not healthy, not healthy, not healthy. And I was like... 
oh, so this experience that I feel like I'm underwater and it feels painful and feeling done. Oh, there's a, oh, okay. There's now something that tells me that's an accurate read on the scenario that I'm in. And as a leader, you just kind of get to look at that situation and go, okay, well, if I want a different result, it's on me to start the catalyzing of that, that result. And usually it doesn't, usually it always starts with the leader. Right. And so just to hold a mirror up. So I think probably once I at least started to get language and I at least got like that feedback loop that what I was experiencing, like, this is hard. I don't know what to do. I began to get language about how to deal with that. Maybe I had a, you know, the, the thermostat, finally gave me a reading and I could then be the thermometer to change the temperature. So I began to kind of get the structure and language to, to lead and manage a small business. Sure. Yeah. And that was all within the first year, just to like give you a timeline. So that was all within the first calendar year uh, that right. kind of scenario I described to you. Yeah. And by the way, for uh, listeners, we'll have a link to um, uh, Leon Cini's um, uh, books in the show notes that, Clay recommends, and he'll be recommending something else here in a little bit. Um, but let's go back to the your foundation. Okay, so we know you had a tough stint uh, around the time that you're in college, and you know, yeah. dropping out of college, yeah. and you recovered from that. Um, but there was something in your background, and that gave you some kind of foundation with which to move forward and to pursue. Running your own business, taking these risks, you know, putting yourself out there and, you know, convincing other people to come along for the ride. Where do you think those things came from? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, um, I, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, so I am a Christian Mm -hmm. and that that's a foundational piece for me. I was, I was raised in the church, but to tell you that my full story, I would tell you that, that that really was my parents' faith at that point in my life. And when I, those early years, um, post-school, uh, early professional years, kind of those first two and a half that I described to you, uh, my wife and I had actually gotten married in that season. And th- that's a, if you think the crucible of work or even all the financial stuff we're talking about, the crucible of marriage can be the most refining, uh, is at least in my life has been the most refining relationship experience I've had. And I say that in such a wonderful way because it's such a loss of self. Um, and it's learning to take two into one and how to serve someone else. And early, early in marriage, I quickly recognized I wasn't equipped and I didn't have the answers and I was going to screw it up just like I had the college thing. Um, And so it was a a thing for me where I looked at at my wife, Kirsten, who will be married 16 years here later this year um, and five kiddos and a healthy circus and uh, very, I would say I'm more in love with my wife now than, than even when we started. I looked at her and was like, I don't know the answers. I don't know how to lead you. I don't know how to lead myself, but I've got a good friend who goes to this church and swears. And so will you just come with me? Cause I'm out of answers and I don't know what to do. And so it was in that season, which was pre the, you know, my son being born and early in marriage that we, we began to get plugged into uh, a local church in our area that is a unique church. Uh, it's actually one of the largest churches in the world. Um, if you look at weekly attendance because of their leveraging of technology, um, it's Life Church, Life Church. Um, uh, if you want to look it up online, but for us, and one of the reasons I say it's unique is they're incredibly wise and they're stewards of resources. Uh, they've built in a culture and an organization in the church that's remarkable, and so that began to be some of the foundational. I'll say structure, leadership, a posture, and heart that I began to learn from 
over the years that allowed me to begin working through all the processes that you're talking about and kind of built that foundation, I'll say, um, of how I wanted to structure my life and how I began to structure my business. So one thing is to be honest with yourself and understand that you have an issue. Uh, hey, yeah, self-aware, yes. self-aware. Yes, yeah, self-awareness. You got it. Right. And yep. then yep. An- another thing is we talked about before is that you know, you um, you weren't athletic, so you were used to a competitive environment or your family was, correct? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and that was a piece too, like foundationally in my family. I, you know, um, I, uh, there's, I grew up in a household of uh, four firstborns. Uh, I'm adopted and I was the, the second child in a family. And so my father is a type A orthopedic surgeon, firstborn. My mom is a type A firstborn. My sister is a type A firstborn who has, you know, is a physical therapist. And then there's me who was a firstborn, even though I was, you know, my, my role within my adoptive family was as the youngest and sports was really large for me. Uh, my father was the long before being uh, the team physician was a political aspiration. My father was the orthopedic surgeon for a local high school, like the only high school. And it was almost a community aspect. And so our life revolved around that. I'd have soccer games and then we'd go, he'd go cover football games and I'd be on the sideline with him. And then we'd go to the stadiums on Saturday. So yeah, sports and the team aspect and, and kind of that type A aspect, all, all in, um, embedded into me at a very young age. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. And for listeners, because we have listeners from all over the world on uh, to this podcast and viewers the, of, the, of the video cast, you know, the whole concept, you know, this isn't a religious podcast, but, you know, I'm very, I'm very involved in my church. And for younger people that are looking for some type of leadership um, experience, uh, volunteering, whether it's at a nonprofit organization in your local area, if you're not into spirituality or religion, or to a church, uh, if you're spiritually oriented, does have a lot of benefits. So uh, I think that's great. So let's let's bring come forward now. I mean, you've built a company. Yes, so sir. tell us how many people you have on board right now. Uh, 15. There are 15 team members within our organization right now. 15. Yes, sir. So that's, that's a pretty, that's a good sized company, you know, in, in this particular business. And you're primarily operating in the Oklahoma area? Correct statement. Central Oklahoma, the Oklahoma City Metro is a majority of our business. Okay. Yes. Let's talk about 2020, you know, so, <laughs> you know, you've, you've been building that, you've been building this business. Everything's yeah. going really well. Yeah. You, you've now it's the end of 2019 or it's early 2020. You got 15 employees yeah. and, Boom! Here comes uh, COVID nineteen. Yeah. So what? What was what was the start of that experience like for you and your team? You know, finishing twenty nineteen, we we had hit our internal growth revenue goal. Um, so we we set just a you know because we we carry. Uh, nine manufacturer partners currently as an organization. And so for us, we create our own internal growth goal. And then we obviously have goals that we have tried to hit for our partners. Um, you know, coming off 2019, we had hit our goal that had made six straight years of uh, profitability and of growth. So just like top line sales growth and off of profitability. And so I would say there was great momentum. Uh, There's a lot of optimism personally, internally, all these elements. And we had just re, um, renegotiated our contract. One of our main manufacturer partners, which at that time was about 53% of our, our sales, 
um, had been acquired. And so we had been in a, a long process through 2019 of renegotiating our contract, or I should say negotiating a new contract with the new partner that had acquired the other. And I, I actually, uh, for the people who are on video, I've got this uh, tibial component, um, uh-huh. shin component for total knees. And I was looking at it because we had engraved it because we had had this launch event in February in February of 2020. And it was to launch this new manufacturer partner. And we invited, I don't know, we had seven or eight local surgeons come in and put their hands on the new technology. And I'd say there was all this momentum and we had all these plans. And then it just, as it did for the rest of the world, I think what was, you know, our, our experience wasn't unique um, to, to anyone else's in the sense that it just, it just caught us off, right? It's such a, such a, a punch in the gut. So disorienting would be a word I would use. Um, and you know, in, in it was late March, I think it was what the 24th, 25th, somewhere in there. I mean, we went to, we went to zero and literally with the elective surgery shutdown in, in at least in Oklahoma, we went to, um, I think we ended up at 4% because one of our manufacturer partners is a, a trauma line. And so we have a little bit of revenue in that time, but to, to nearly, um, nothing. And that was, that was being put in the fire. I mean, that really was, uh, just a defining moment for us as a, as a company of how we would respond and, and be, I guess, uh, move forward in the unknown, move forward into that volatility and unknown. Yeah. So what, what were some of the actions you took to, I guess, secure the company in this yeah. very threatening time? What are some actions that you yeah. took to, you know, so you could survive. Yeah. So if you, you know, go back to those early stories uh, with the medical bills and my firstborn son and that season, you know, my, my wife and I had gone through a journey and we had, we had done the total money makeover. If you're a Dave Ramsey uh, disciple in this world, we had gone to where my wife and I were doing the cash envelopes and we were trying to get ourselves out of debt. We had student debt, we had personal debt on vehicles uh, and we eliminated all of that. We went to where, we could, we, we literally created a system at one point, Ted, uh, my wife reminded me of this, I don't know, a couple months ago, where we couldn't spend more than, I think it was $15 without communicating with the other one, essentially to let them know. And it was just putting in parameters and hedges to help us become disciplined with finances for a season. And it really worked for us. We, like we stopped spending money because we just got annoyed with having to text the other one or call the other one. And, and so we really learned how to hunker down, how to be disciplined, get ourselves out of a hole and then build uh, a strong financial foundation. Well, those habits continued and we're not, um, I'm going to say that extreme, but we've been blessed to where kind of some of those principles and fundamentals, you know, we have uh, a company emergency fund um, that was, you know, uh, four months of our operating costs. We had a personal emergency fund for ourselves. So the moment everything hit, you know, we scaled back drastically. Um, And by drastically, I just mean we cut out all non-essential expenses. um, And we, you know, my wife and I um, stopped taking money from the company and we began activating on our emergency fund. And it allowed us to kind of stretch the runway as long as we could to ensure that we didn't have to lay anybody off. We didn't cut anybody back. Um, additionally, you know, we were, we were blessed. We were one of the organizations that was blessed to receive the, the PPP, um, which was, you know, in the United States, a loan that if you used it appropriately and kept your staff on at the right levels could be turned into a grant and forgiven. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we were blessed as an organization to, to receive that and to utilize that, you know, our team did a great job stewarding that and using it in the appropriate ways. And we had that forgiven. And so we were essentially able to hunker down 
And I actually, right before we hit record, I asked um, Kara, um, my exceptional uh, admin who keeps our office running and moving forward, to pull out what our thematic goal was. And if any of the listeners go look at the the Pat Lincioni content that we referenced earlier, one of the things Pat teaches is this idea of a thematic goal, which is what's the most important thing at the company right now. It's a rallying cry for the whole organization so that all the different teams, whether it's marketing or field or operations, they all kind of know what the most important thing was. We really just, we, we downshifted all our expenses. We did all this. And then we went into hyperdrive on, well, how do we thrive while we've got $0 coming in? And so we started focusing on overhaul our inventory systems because while there's no surgery going on, that's a great thing to do. Like we actually changed our operating platform, our inventory system, our labeling, our language. Like we began to put in a lot of important non-urgent work that you never get to when the whirlwind is screaming at you. And so in that four, six week span, we made great progress. We had to prioritize team member health and we really put in a lot of protocols to ensure that when surgery came back, which it did in late April in Oklahoma. And I know we were, uh, we were very blessed that, you know, we started surgery again earlier than a lot of people. And we very quickly came out of the shutdown and began, you know, having cases again, <clears throat> we began to, you know, we throw we thrived. Uh, we found a way to thrive through that season, um, by kind of doing different important work as opposed to what normally is our day to day in the room with patients work. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's excellent. And did you have to lay anybody off? No, sir. No, we actually came out and hired multiple people right on the backside because there were so many great people who had been laid off. There were so many great people who unfortunately had lost their, you know, because, you know, in Oklahoma, oil and gas, um, which is doing a little better now, but it was taking a beating um, last year. There was a lot of wonderful, talented people who were in the, you know, open and looking for jobs. And so we were able to hire in that season and actually add to our team not long after. Yeah, uh, that's 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 a great um, that's a great story. I love it. Um, how do, do you know how other distributors did? You know, distributors that are similar in size to you and so on. Did were other people um, able to face the challenges like you did, or did some other people stumble? You know, I don't know that I've got a great answer for you on uh, you know on what I would define. I, most people were able to um, retain their personnel, at least in the area that I'm in and in the friends, you know, cause you, you build up friends of, and other distributors right. throughout the country. And so, you know, most, most were able to, to get through the season. A lot of our manufacturer partners were great. I, you know, I'm just going to, I didn't take a lot of these up on it, but they offered uh, loans. I would say almost zero interest to no interest loans to a lot of distributors throughout the country to kind of help them survive through the season. I, I, I've got another friend who's a, a distributor here in Oklahoma city. His his manufacturer partner um, offered him like they fronted him money. In other words, they 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 prepaid him on future stuff. So I, I, I think there was a lot of really creative ways, uh, at least in in the lens and the the viewfinder that I can see that I saw manufacturers and distributors being creative and finding a way to to maintain jobs and and be able to get through the season. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, that's that's great, and that actually is. Um uh, I'm gl- I'm really glad to hear that because, you know, it, it was a short period, so-called short. It seemed really long, yeah. f- especially for individuals. I mean, for th- those of us that have been sort of locked down for a long period of time or not been able to meet with family and so on and so forth. But, you know, the hospital business, elective surgeries did come back. Yeah. 
at different rates in different places, but for the manufacturers to take a role, then the government was taking a role and yep. you had your own personal, you know, financial practices that really benefited it all. It all worked out pretty well. Yeah. And it was, and we experienced the V recovery that, that everyone kind of talked about coming out of the April, right? Uh, you know, the April crash and then skyrocketing back out, you know, our June, July was the largest months we've seen, but then it, it also came back down and it kind of right. recalibrated itself. And then in Oklahoma, we got slow at the end of the, uh, I should say, actually, we got um, hot in the sense of our COVID rates skyrocketed in November, December, January. Those were our largest um, uh, infection rate times. I actually got it in September. I, I'll share that. Um, and it was, you know, so for us, surgery actually slowed down at the end of the year more than any other part besides the, uh, the shutdown time because hospitals began to rate limit. And I know other areas all experienced that too, in their own kind of pockets and timings to where hospitals didn't have capacity or they were limiting surgery or, um, or even some of their policies, right? Like, uh, you can't have a family member with you. And so then people were like, well, I don't want surgery then if I can't have somebody with me. And so I didn't think there were a lot of kind of rate limiting factors that, that also, uh, affected numbers through the year as well. Okay. And then when you, w- with COVID and with 2020 and hospitals taking a completely different view about who they're letting in the door on the sales side, um, how did that affect your team and how did you adjust for it? Yeah, you know, I, when we first came back, restrictions were incredibly heavy. I mean, there were facilities, even once we were starting surgery again, that they wouldn't even, even though we were credentialed, even though we were cleared, they wouldn't let us into the hospital. Um, and so they would ask us to drop our our instruments and our implants at the loading docks. And they would send staff from sterile processing out to the loading docks to pick it up. And then they would take it in. And we don't essentially just have to trust that it would get through the catacombs and the process uh, to, to get to our surgeons and our patients. <clears throat> we, you know, and in that season, it just kind of, as it was disruptive, as we began to watch our manufacturers kind of looking at even their, their balance sheets and what the future was like and, you know, lead times. And now we're dealing with all the um, supply chain challenges now here in 2021. It really is, I think, just a, those that are seeing it as an opportunity. Uh, we're seeing this in all of the other industries, right? Whether it's in grocery delivery, whether it's in restaurants and all these areas, you see innovation, you see kind of, we're not necessarily going to go back to the old days. And so for me, that was what we began to explore is, you know, A, how can we uh, for one thing, protect ourselves from another shutdown because we, you know, obviously are at risk potentially of, especially early on, we were at risk of that happening again. And then two, what are innovative ways that we could maybe reduce exposure uh, to patients, to surgeons and ourselves? And, you know, telemedicine has taken off all over um, the world. That was something that ramped up um, bananas, right? The extreme, you know, companies popping up all over and so how do we how do we find a way to kind of coalesce or combine with what device reps do and this kind of technology and telemedicine? And so we, we're, we're exploring those ways. We did some elements last year. We've seen some other companies do it as well about how do we how do we leverage telemedicine platforms, technology to, again, reduce exposure and at the same time create scale um, to where you can take the right expertise and put it in the room. But yet, you know, kind of reduce um, again, reduce exposure would be the term I would use. Yeah. And did you employ any of the virtual technologies? 
Yeah, that's and that's that's it. You know, we've looked at companies like Proximy because um, I've seen some of our manufacturers use them as a teaching platform, mm-hmm. and we've begun to use those even as just a, a connection platform. How can we use Proximy? That's a company built to go into the operating room, built just like you and I are. You know, halfway across the country from each other, yet we're having a very clear communication, and you can read the stuff on the wall behind me, and I can read behind you. And so, how do we use these technologies? to take expertise into the right operating room um, and be able to do it remotely and at, at scale, but not drop, you know, cause again, at the end of the day, there's a patient on the table. My, my aunt has been that patient. Um, my parents have been that patient. How do we maintain their level of care, but yet still, you know, find the other wins that we need to find in kind of the new reality. Um, yeah. And what do you think this means going forward? I mean, so we've had this pretty challenging experience in 2020, we're yeah. coming out of it now. Yeah. What does it mean in the way that you operate your business and the way that your uh, sales and service people interact with customers going forward? Well, I think the the first thing for us, and this is even where we, I guess, initially started to do it, is even in the training, right? So like for a new rep, the way I would train them is have them be, in our terms, a co-pilot covering a case. Well, hospitals now still will only let us have one rep in the case. So that's eliminated. So now it becomes like a training aspect. How do I get my reps exposure on it? I think in the new world. Um, so we recently recorded a podcast on on my podcast uh, with Goran Dragolovic and Goran is a, a healthcare executive um, here in the United States of a, a physician management organization. And he was talking about the four main economic challenges with American healthcare, similar to the stuff you and I touched on just a, a brief moment earlier. Right. And, and he, you know, and he's talking about overutilization and the variance in, in pricing and Medicare um, payments throughout the country. And then the other two main challenges that he, that he talked about were pharma and med device and just the extreme, you know, the, these kind of four cost challenges, if we don't find a way to solve them and solve them, not in just a reduced way, but in a partner way in a don't reduce care, but may, you know, reduce the cost while maintaining the care and the whole value argument, we're going to end up at a place we don't want to be. We're going to end up where, and so for me, I'm trying to think, well, how can we coalesce all these different things you and I just talked about? How can we take the telemedicine platforms that already exist? How can we take ensuring we provide the right implants at the right time with the right expertise, plus reduce the cost aspect? And I I just think we're going to have to find we're gonna to have to find solutions to get the right people at the table to create these kind of partnerships um, to to do that, and that's a part of what we're trying to solve. It's you know a challenge, but at the same time, if you picked up your phone right now, it's still what time is it? You're on the East Coast, so it's you know it's in the afternoon at this point. Yeah. You could you could order something on Amazon. You could probably have it at my house by the time I got home tonight. They'd send you a text message that tells you it arrived with a photo of my front porch telling you it's there, and it shipped from it. You know, I just. We can solve this. It just we've got to find a way, I think, to get the right people at the table and maybe break up some of the, uh, well, for lack of a better term, the establishment, the status quo. And, and I think that will be one of the positives if we, when my kids look back someday of this disruption of 2020, hopefully that'll be one of the positives is that it kind of broke some of the status quo to let us uh, hopefully create sustained higher level healthcare in the United States. Now, right now, with a team of 15 people, Oklahoma City being your primary market, but you're also working in other areas of Oklahoma, mm-hmm. um, you know, do you, would you consider yourself a small, medium, large size um, orthopedic distributor when you c- compare yourself to other distributors that you know that you rub shoulders with around the country? Uh, I would say medium, and I would use the word challenger. 
those would be the phrases I would use. Yes. Why, why do you use the word challenger? Well, um, I'm, and this is some of my just wiring, but I'm, I'm not, um, I'm not satisfied. I don't believe uh, we should stay at the status quo. And, and by we, I just mean our organization. And that's because I'm also very passionate about our, our organization's mission. Um, and I, I haven't said that yet, but you know, Habakkuk exists to help restore life within the orthopedic community. And that's, you know, every day we get to help patients get something back that was lost, whether that's walking, playing with their grandkids on the ground, dancing with their spouse, playing golf, whatever it is that was lost, we help them get it back. I'm of a belief, you know, off everything I talked about earlier, that um, that physical restoration will also run out. So we exist, and that's why we're named after an Old Testament prophet, a Hebrew prophet. You know, we exist to um, give the eternal life of of Jesus. And so we kind of have a dual restoration. And that, for me, is a mission worth taking through the country. And while we're a business and we're going to have economies of scale, um, that's worth challenging the status quo and expanding the mission of that to, you know, take that to a larger place. So I'm not I'm not satisfied to stay right where we are. Okay. Yeah. So how do you, how do you do that? I mean, I don't want you to reveal a strategic <laughs> plan, like your strategic plan or anything, sure. but, but during the preparatory call we had a couple of weeks ago, we, yeah. we sort of started to explore this and the, and it goes a little bit to the virtual capabilities and stuff yeah. that you can do things long distance and so on. So, yeah. you know, where do you think you go going forward? Well, I mean, I think that's the, well, that's the question. And that's what we're trying to fail and build a model on because again, we, we've expressed, and I think it's a, an accepted fact that we've got to find a way to reduce cost. We, we've mm-hmm. got to find a way to create reduced costs. And I'm talking specifically in, you know, medical devices. And I'm just talking about the scope that I know, um, but in greater healthcare as well, because what we're doing is unsustainable. So we set that premise earlier. And I, I think there's very few people that disagree with that, which is why the, you know, kind of a lot of the conversations are happening in Congress that they are. It's just a question of how we get there. And so even in my young career, like the repless model in my realm came, but it also didn't work because there still is value for what medical device reps do. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a passionate proponent of that. I think there is great value that we add in the operating room. The question is, can we find a creative way to do that differently to where we don't have to scale with, you know, um, one rep, every single case in person, could we find a way to virtually do that? And again, there's companies that are doing it. It's, it's not even that the idea that I'm throwing out is necessarily novel by itself. It's the coalescing and the ability to bring all the right parties to the table to build an operational and a technological system that can allow us to reduce costs um, and take you or me sitting here and go to numerous places at the same time or in shorter spans of time to be able to provide expertise into surgery. Right. Yeah. I mean, would this possibly mean that you would... Now, this would increase cost, at least for a short term, but would this possibly mean that you might acquire another uh, small, medium-sized distributor someplace so that you could operate in their territory and maybe revise the structure so that you keep costs under control? That's one very creative way to do it. Exactly. Uh-huh. And so, and and because then, the you know, the distributor model was always good for small and starter manufacturers because they don't have the right? They don't have the scale to have their own direct sales force. So then they just partner with someone who's local. And so a distributor's great expertise was local market, right? And so like our expertise is in Oklahoma City. But what if you could create a structure where the expertise scaled outside of the local market and your ability, you know, because a high level rep, ones that add value in an operating room, 
they can do that with many exceptional technologies, right? They could do it with many different manufacturers, in my opinion. If you have a quality rep and give them the right way to learn and give them, you know, equip them the right way, they could do it with lots of different um, technologies. And so how do we then allow scale to go with that expertise? Yeah. 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 Did you do any training like virtual uh, presentation, virtual interaction training with your team so that they could to make sure that they knew how to use virtual tools to interact with customers? Yeah, it's what we're doing. It's what we're we're working on that right now. We're actually expanding our our headquarters, our office, and we're building in those spaces to essentially create, you know, um, practice runs, uh, virtual repping, those kind of aspects, you know, across the across the building. But at the same time, it creates the same tension of how do you communicate through technology, learning right. the pacing, learning the right things to see through. Yeah, we're working on that model model right now. Okay. Yep. Okay. And then another thing I wanted to ask you about, I don't know that we talked about this um, because I'm looking at my notes here and we did talk about the whole uh, leadership um, thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. Yeah. One of the, you know, as a medium sized distributor, and we all know that the way a lot of companies get started in orthopedics is they they invent a product, develop a technology. Let's say it's a startup and they yeah. go out to the distributors and they try yeah. to convince you to pick the product up or, or some other, or you or your competitors. Um, and then sometime in the future, if, if they really have a great product, they get acquired and you know, you might lose that product. How do you yeah. <laughs> stay on top of, how do you stay on top of this churn uh, to keep your revenues yeah. up and, yeah. you know, to keep making progress. How do you stay on top of that? Yeah, that's a, um, some of the gray hair, if you're watching the video on the side of my head is from the lessons yeah. I've learned in that, in that yeah. process that no, but you, but your question is, um, is right. And I can even tie it back to when I said, if I could do some things different with, um, with my, you know, taking over the distributorship and end up buying out my former boss, you know, good, crucial, healthy conversations way on the front side is the biggest lesson I've learned in the process, Ted. And so even as I enter into conversations with the manufacturer, those are some of the first questions I ask. And I really value, especially with starter companies, startup companies, when they say, you know, my end goal is to sell to Striker or somebody or to get acquired within three years. I can go, great. That's awesome. We're on the same page and I'm not going to build my business around you, or I'm going to negotiate into the contract protection for me when that happens so that there's some sort of a buyout or there's some sort of a protection that I'm going to keep it for a season after. And because yeah, you're not going to change another company and I don't want to change if that's their objective and what they want to go do. Great. I just want the opportunity to sell your exceptional products to help our patients to get life restored. Right. Um, So I think those healthy conversations on the front side, because, you know, I, when I was a junior rep, I had hand innovations and I mean, it was awesome. I thought I was a great salesman when I was moving hand innovations all over the place. Cause it was the first volar plate and everybody loved it. And I, you know, again, I thought I was great, but really this product would sell itself. Well, it got acquired and I lost it. And then we picked up DVO and it got acquired by Tournier and we lost it. And then as a distributor, I began that process and, and lost some product lines and we, but I just had one recently, like MedShape was acquired by DJO we've known that MedShape was going to sell. Like when we signed up with them years ago, we knew that was an end state of theirs. So it wasn't going to be 
what I'm going to call a pillar partner that we build our business around because I'm not going to compromise all the families that I'm called to lead. I'm called the shepherd. I'm not going to compromise our ability to care for them and do our mission based on someone else's you know business plan. And so that's and and then the the linchpin partners we we negotiate in protections. I prioritize that over dollars. Sometimes I'll trade, you know, commission points and you just begin to kind of learn these levers and learn what matters often by getting hosed. Um, <laughs> at least sure. I did. Yeah. But please, yeah. please, if you're listening, learn from me so you don't have to go through that. But right. yeah, we, we, we'll make that. I'll trade that type of balance. I'll trade that type of balance in an agreement. Um, meaning I won't chase just, you know, I want to make more dollars today. I'll, 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 I'll trade balance and protection to go with the dollars. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I joke with people and I say, you know, I could take the shirt off my back and show you the scars that I have from, <laughs> from the mistakes that I've made, like marketing and or sales management mistakes in the past. And, um, you do learn from those things and you definitely don't want other people to repeat them. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know who said it, but right. To, to follow a leader who has a limp and you know, I mean, those, that's what you want to see because you want to see people that have gone through it and learned and then uh, continue to move forward. So, yeah. Okay. And then we, we had talked about uh, books that you recommend and one of them was um, uh, the advantage something and that's a Pat Leocini book. Yeah. 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 The, the okay. advantage, um, which is about organizational health being the last great, um, organizational advantage versus your competition. Correct. Okay. Yeah. You also mentioned first break all the rules. Yeah. And that's a management book. And and for me, again, early on startup, I can, I actually can visualize now the whiteboards inside my office at that rent house. When I first started just copious notes that I'd written from this book about creating um, internal structure, because in our world, um, uh, in our world, meaning medical device and distributor world, a lot of time we assume just because somebody gets into uh, medical device, that means they're a salesman. And so if you have somebody who's good as a cast member, um, we promote them to sales because that's how you go make more money, et cetera. But those are different skill sets. Those are totally different jobs. And so we're passionate as an organization about finding people's wirings and giftings. Um, we use Myers-Briggs and StrengthsFinder and we use CDAT and aptitude testing and you know Enneagram. We use tons of different tools just to help us see the puzzle of a person um, and to, to get to know them, to equip them to do roles that help them thrive. And it, specifically from First Break the Rules, what I learned was creating um, uh, promotion structure and career path trajectory for people within my team that don't want to go to sales. So in other words, how do I create structure so that when I have a great person who is gifted in the operating room, great with systems, black and white, concrete, does a fantastic job in there, never could sell if their life depended on it, right? They could not sell anything. Um, how do I give them an opportunity how to have structure to grow and thrive and make more money and succeed and grow and leaders, all these elements. And so that was really what I took from First Break All the Rules was kind of blowing up some of the traditional understandings and structure and creating that for your team members to thrive. Yeah. That's excellent. Yeah. And then um, I think you had another one, the E-Myth Revisited. Yeah, the E myth revisited. And that's about the entrepreneurial myth. The E is the entrepreneurial. And it's it's okay. what it does is it it takes the uh well again, the myth, the 
the heroism that we put into entrepreneurs often. Um, and it actually just breaks it down into structure and system. And I go back to being a startup. That was the type of thing I needed was like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. And one of the great things it did was when you start a business, it said, create the organizational chart of the future. And so when it was me at the rent house, I literally had on these boards, the org chart of my hundred times the size I was business. And then what you do with that org chart of the future, which of course is you know dynamic and living and you change it as you mature and grow, et cetera, but you just have the discipline to put it out there. You then go, okay, well, this is, you know, if it's me and Michael, Michael, this is your role. And then you're going to wear this hat, this hat, this hat, and this hat. I'm going to do this role. I'm going to wear this hat, this hat, this hat. And then you function within that. And then as you hire people, you take the hat off and you give them that and that becomes their role. And it just creates clarity and structure. So people know what they're doing and you're doing the most important things at the company because, you know, knowing who does what, and that now I'm going to tie it back to Lencioni's stuff. That's clarity question six. You've got to know those things for people to thrive. They've got to know who does what, who's responsible for what. So then you can have accountability and make sure you're producing results. So I just have to say, I'm totally impressed with how much you remember out of all these different books <laughs> and the fact that you've put it into practice because mm. in many ways, you're, you're a, uh, a self, you're definitely, I shouldn't say in many ways, you are mm. a self-made mm. business leader, which I, I find really uh, fascinating and impressive because there's so many people that have the luxury and have had the privilege of working in um, a larger structured organization that mm. teaches them all these things mm. that even has courses. Like I, I worked for American hospital supply when I started my career and they had a whole university inside the company mm. that you could select courses from and you could How cool. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that, that sounds awesome. <laughs> it, was, it was, it was just, and we were a small division, but we had mm. access to all these resources mm. And, uh, but you, you didn't, I mean, you started working for a, a, a small, um, operation. It was really just the three of you. You said the admin, the, the boss and yourself, and, <laughs> yeah. and then you event eventually started your own business. So I'm, uh, I have to say that it's impressive that you read and then you put it into practice. Hmm. So to the listeners read. You know, I'm I'm rereading right now. I'm rereading uh, "Crossing the Chasm" by Jeffrey Moore because he's he's had three uh, versions of the book, and it's about you know working your way through the technology adoption um, life cycle, TALC, and the mistakes that can be made as, as you're trying to work through that. And the you know how you work with innovators, early adopters, early majority, blah blah yeah. blah. So yeah. I'm rereading. I'm forcing myself to read because it's so easy just to listen to podcasts. Don't don't give up listening <laughs> to the audience. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. But it's so easy to or or just to watch stuff on YouTube or watch stuff on TV. So anyway, I'm impressed. Well, in, in Ted, I'd be remiss if I thank you. Uh, let me say thank yeah. you. I'm learning. I'm learning to receive better. So thank you for <laughs> for saying that. It's very kind of you. I don't ever put that in a vacuum though, because yeah. every single one of those moments was me having incredible leaders in my life that I've had the ability to stand on their shoulders. And so it's gracious of you to say self-made, um, but none of that happens in a, in a vacuum. Like I've had a community that has been so supportive. I mean, my wife, the amount of time she stood by me swinging for fences or waiting too long to swing all these different elements in the, even like the team we have now, like the reason I get to sit and talk with you today is because we have exceptional team members. You know, we've got 
this is actually going to be our busiest surgical day today. And, and my team is, uh, our team is all over the place serving their surgeons. They serve their patients and living that out. So I just, it's gracious of you and I'm receiving it. And at the same time, none of it's done in a vacuum. Um, but there is no, take one thing. That's the thing for me with every single thing you talk about, take one thing and just activate on it. Yeah. I think, I think we overwhelm ourselves, right? We listen to a podcast and you know, we've talked about a giant range of things to the listener, like take one thing and go activate on one single thing. And, exactly. And then if that works great, keep doing it and then come grab something else. But you know, it's like in my, in my pastor is, is very gifted at that. He'll be like one takeaway, take, take one thing and just go do it. Cause if we ask ourselves to do five, we don't do any of them. Um, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Well, that sort of segues into, I was going to say, what advice do you have for med tech leaders, you know, going forward? And I think that's real, whether you're a sales field salesperson that's listening to this, or you're a, a region manager, or you're building a company. I, I agree with you hundred percent. Take one thing. Another friend of mine that was a very successful leader, he worked for me a couple of times and he's gone on to far exceed my leadership role, um, any re- leadership role I had, but He'll frequently say, I'll say, well, how have, how have you done this at this company? You're doing really is his baby steps. Baby step. Yeah. and ma- oh. But make sure every step is complete. You know, get the baby mm. step done and then take the next one and then take the next one. Just keep keep getting it done. And by the time, you know, six months has gone by or a year, a lot of stuff's been accomplished. Yeah. And they just build, right? I think that's the thing, you know, um, we do one of my disciplines that we love is like a word of the year. And often we'll pray about it at the end of the year and kind of say, what's a discipline or a word. And I'm, you know, I'm 13, uh, 2013. So I'm eight years into that. And I can look back on each one of those and you just did one word a year, one discipline, add a new thing, but it just builds and it builds. And then you look back and you're like, holy smokes, look at all these things that we've now do. And everyone's like, well, how do you do all that? Well, you just, you take one baby step and you do one thing and you just keep building on that. Yeah, exactly. Well, this has really been terrific. Um, I think we've shared a lot of great information and inspiration Mm. for people that are listening. Mm. I really appreciate your time today. Ted, this is a, this is a joy. I love uh, spending time with you. This is the second time I've got to do it now. And so each time it's, it's been rich. And so thank you for the opportunity to to be together. And off, off of this uh, podcast, I'll be uh, sending you a couple emails. So first uh, that first week of August, when I'm, out in uh, your area, maybe I, we can have a cup of coffee. I can come by and see Habakkuk. You're welcome. You are well. <laughs> you you have refrigerator rights here. That's a term we use. You can okay. come here and get anything you want out of the fridge. You got refrigerator rights here. All right. Well, listen. You take care. Thank you, Ted. Well, that was inspiring. I found that when I was editing this podcast, I was frequently smiling. Now, when you watch the video cast. You might not see me smiling a whole lot. Of course, we laugh and we joke and talk about a few things. But I'm very focused on the interview. However, when I go back to edit and take notes, I just found myself smiling. Clay does that to you. Clay is an interesting leader. Very transparent with his team. Humble, supportive, and enthusiastic. At the end of the podcast, Clay and I were talking about taking on one challenge at a time. One step towards improvement. What are you going to be working on today and this week to make progress toward your goals, whether individual or as a leader of a team? Thanks again for spending time with me and Clay today. I hope you found something in this podcast that contributes to your success. Now go win your week.